Sometimes I under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. Welcome back, folks, to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, the Tanakh edition of the show. And this is a show, of course, where we talk about some of those other books, including of late the prophets. And uh, we are working our way through the book of the prophet Ezekiel, around chapter 41 at this point. Uh, we uh, we started it last week, but uh, didn't get all that far. So let me do this. I'll say good afternoon to Mark Patron, and I'll let him pick it up somewhere in the vicinity of where he thought he left off, around verse 10. We're still talking about the immense, the measurements of the, uh, the sanctuary that doesn't seem to have been built yet uh, so go ahead mark how are you doing i'm doing well how are you mark good I'm... to see uh good to hear you and ken i, I heard him earlier so uh <laughs> it looks like we've got a pretty good connection good uh, yeah i'm going to start at verse 10 of chapter 41 go ahead you were saying no i just said okay so. here we go <clears throat> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna read ten through uh, fifteen and uh, then I'll I'll uh, do my commentary because uh, I don't know if people remember ten to fifteen. Anyway, here we go. And between the chambers was the wilderness of twenty cubits. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Was the wideness of twenty cubits round about the house on every side, and the doors of the side chambers were toward the place that was left. One door towards the north, another door towards the south, and the breadth of the place that was left was five cubits round about. Now the building that was before the separate place on the end toward the west was 70 cubits broad, and the wall of the building was five cubits thick round about, and the length thereof 90 cubits. So he measured the house and 100 cubits long, and a separate place, and the building, with the walls thereof, and hundred cubits long. Also the breadth of the face of the house, and of the separate place toward the east, and hundred cubits. And he measured the length of the building over against the separate place, which was behind it, and the galleries thereof on the one side and on the other side, on the cubits, hundred cubits, rather, and with the inner temple and the porches of the court, the po- doorposts and the narrow windows and the galleries. Ra- oh, I'm sorry. I went to verse 16. I'll stop there. Okay. Uh, verse 10 tells us that there were an open space of 20 cubits around the house, meaning the Kodesh Kadashim. So the western slaughter chambers that flanked and guarded the Kodesh Kadashim were still 20 cubits from Yah's house, as it were. And by the way, the description in King James uh, verse 11 says, the doors of the side chambers toward the, the left. KJB's added words don't do much to clarify the Hebrew text, and I'm not a Hebrew scribe, so I have a hard time getting it around here. Hebrew and English thought patterns are not the same. 
Here's Stone's Tanakh's translation. They said the entrance of the cells structure was by the open space, one entrance to the north, one entrance to the south. The width of the open space was five cubits all around. Again, this is about the space between the outer walls of the Kodesh Kadashim and the slaughter chambers in its north and south sides. Each of the latter having a, an entrance, according to Stone's Tanakh's diagram, in the center of those walls. The eastern slaughter chambers had an entrance in the outer walls to the main court and one narrow exit to the inner courtyard where the altar of burnt offering is. This suggests to me, or to my triadled brain, I should say, that these easternmost slaughter chambers were specifically for the daily sacrifices, while the westernmost were for the service of the day of atonement and other special sacrifices. I, of course, could be wrong on this, but in this instance, it would be not uh, surprise me in the least. It would surprise me in the least. We're not about 2,000 years distant, only about 2,000 years distant from the uh, last necessary and actual Yom HaKippurim, after all, Yah Yeshua, after all, fulfilled both on his tree. Now, verses 12 through 15 explain the dimensions of the outer walls of the house on the west, north, east, and south sides. Here's Stones to Knock on verse 12 and following. Counting from east to west, the back wall of the structure, which was the outer wall of the western wall of the western cell, was six cubits thick, according to verse 8. The cell itself was four cubits wide, according to verse 5. The temple wall was six cubits thick, according to verse 5. The inner sanctum's interior was 20 cubits, according to verse 4. The dividing wall between the sanctuary and the inner sanctum was six cubits thick, according to verse 1. The hall's interior was 11 cubits, according to 40 in verse 9. And its front wall was five cubits thick, according to 40 in verse 8. This yields a total of 100. In this verse, the easternmost 10 cubits were not counted, this yielding a total of 90, because there, the otherwise great wall jutted out considerably, as further explained below. And we'll get to that in a little bit. In verses 13 to 15, we are told in no uncertain terms that the factual dimensions, actual dimensions of the Mishkan is 100 cubits, roughly 150 to 175 feet by 100 cubits, the same. It's four square. And if I at all know the spirit that inspired the workers, the measurements are exact. And if Hiram, who was the chief builder, was anything like me, he would make sure to build it exactly according to the blueprints, because he had only ordered enough material to get the job done right, and he oversaw everything that was done, doing a pro in-process inspections. Now, Stone Stanach has this short comment on verse 14. Verse 14 at the front of the tab, uh, temple building, a structure jutted out to the north and south, 15 cubits in each direction and 10 cubits wide. Adding these 30 cubits to the 70 of verse 12 and the 10 to the 90 of verse 12 yields 100 cubits in each direction. So, okay, 
Stones also has this comment on verse 15. The measurement of verse 13 was taken on the northern side of the building, going from its back towards its front to the east, while this measurement was taken on the southern side, going uh, towards the rear of the west, according to Rashi. So, if this is so, and there's no good reason to think otherwise, this building was four square, and the chances of it being a degree off is face, it's facing exactly to the cardinal points is exactly two, slim and none. Here's what I had to say uh, here when we studied through Kings, low those many years ago with Rob Miller. Um, um, I commented on 15 and 16. Let me do that here. Uh, verses 15 and 16 tells us the construction of the temple's Kodesh Kadashim, the end of verse 16. The house within, according to the KJV, the walls and the cedar overlays on them and the ceiling and the fur that was laid to, for the floor. The walls, the kirot, from the Hebrew kavar, uh, which means to dig for a source and connection, must have been laid on pre-leveled bedrock since the walls were dug, kavard. They had dug to level the mountaintop so connection could be made to bedrock. The site work had to be extensive, since the height of the Hahechal, the temple, I assume was on a level, since the ceilings were on a level 30 cubits above the bedrock upon which they were built. The prohibition of using an iron tool while placing the stones for the building of the temple does not preclude Shlomo's site crew from using iron tools to prepare the ground for the stones before the stones arrived. The entire area of the temple had to have been made perfectly level and had to include the base on which the cut building stones were laid. Since the stones were 10 cubits high and 8 cubits thick, the area that needed to be leveled was at least 76 or 77 cubits long and 36 to 37 cubits wide. The same would be done for the palace, as we'll see in chapter 7. We've, we commented on this with Rob long, long ago. If you stood at one corner of the building's roof and sighted along the roof edge or across the roof line to any angle, you would not be able to tell just by sight where any of the roof support beams were or where the interior sides of the walls were underneath the roof. The interior measurements are what we've been given, and I assume these were the finished dimensions, which would include the cedar and fir and the gold overlays, and all of that would have, been, would have had to be figured in. Le Kodesh HaKadashim was 20 cubits by 20 cubits, one-third of the entire area of the temple. It is called the Oracle, the KJV, and Lidbir, from the root Davar, to combine separate items into one. The partition between the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kadashim in the Hekel was a curtain of gold chains, as we'll see in a bit. And that, by the way, was from my commentary a couple of years uh, ago okay. when we were uh, studying this thing with Rob. All right. Mark, me, chapter or verse 15. 
Let me let me interrupt you for a second, if I may, because obviously there's a lot of information here. Uh, I think, and, and maybe I, I need to make sure we're on the same page. This is about a different temple, obviously, than the one that Hiram built, that has not been built yet, as near as any of us can tell. As far as I would, I would go to that to that place and say I don't think it's been built yet. So uh, I guess my question agree, is, right. and as we go through this, this is the thing I'd at least like to keep in the back of our minds. Uh, what is the point of all this? We're getting all these dimensions. I mean, some might even say, you know, uh, eye-glazing dimensions on something which hasn't been built. Uh, and and so what's the real issue? As far as when we read through this, what are we taking away from it? What would what would you focus on? Uh, again, I would say uh, one element, we, it hasn't been built yet, and so we can look forward to it or we can say, uh, you know, what does that tell us if we start seeing it? But in the meantime, um, what do we take from all of this? What I take from all of this is that I'm going to be involved in building that one. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a fair point, an interesting point. Okay, and 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 I will figure out exactly what all of all of the uh, materials I need will be, and I will order them exactly. Okay, which is what the way I started this whole commentary. Uh, you know, they had to they had to order all of the stuff that they needed to get this thing done, and they did pretty good. And I think that's what we're going to have to do in the in the in the future temple to come. Okay. Oh, that's an interesting take. I'm not sure if I'm on the same page, but okay. Uh, Ken, let's go to you. Uh, what, what's your take on all of that as we get ready to go through the rest of the chapter here? I, I want to make sure we kind of at least keep uh, that element in mind. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm not so sure that this was built with man's hands. Um, I, I, I'm thinking this is probably. The one that is not built with man's hands. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I won't argue that point. I, I tend to think I'm on the same page with you there. And 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 really, the numbers. Um, maybe we will understand them once we see the uh, uh, the the connection of this structure um, tied in with uh, us. And Yah together as one, because, you know, to me, this is still that house that Mashiach or Messiah spoke about when he was on this earth. You know, when he mentioned he was the cornerstone and we are the uh, we are the rest of the tabernacle, Uh, you know, uh, it very well could be a a physical um, rendering of something that's, again, very, very spiritual. Well, it could be anyway. Um, and, and two, that's that's kind of what I get out of it. I, when I'm looking at certain aspects of it and picturing either myself or some other individual, you know, going through a gate, for example, or walking from one gate through a courtyard to the next. It's like, OK, what does that represent, you know? What does walking through this gate represent? What does walking through that courtyard to the uh, to the inner courtyard represent? You know, things like this, I think, help us to understand possibly what this is really about, even though I don't think anybody has a nail on it, so to speak. <laughs> well, um, kind of like when I did this massive research uh, recently on the different 
renderings of this whole structure by so many different Christian and Jewish denominations and and uh, uh, communities, and it's like everybody had something different. You know, there was no one was like another. You know, everybody got different renderings, different measurements for some reason. It's it's just kind of phenomenal to see all the differences when you're comparing, you know, people who are uh, trying to get a take on what's being written here. Okay. Yeah, anyway. And you know what? You know, one of the things that's a problem here, Ken, as far as a builder's uh, idea here is my qubit is different than your qubit. And right. your qubit is different than Mark Call's qubit. Because a qubit is from the elbow to the tip of your finger. Okay? Right. For me, it's 19 and a half inches. Yours might be only 17. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, right. we don't have to go there. Okay. We'll, we'll just leave so, it at... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, Someone I, is going to have to decide that a qubit is exactly this long, and that will have to be young. Well, and, and that's the point of the equal weights and measures and honest weights and measures. He emphasizes that because clearly if, if we have measures that aren't the same, we get not only in a whole bunch of trouble, uh, there are curses that are associated with it, but literally it's a way of cheating people and of making, uh, making things that should be consistent, not consistent and, and so forth. So, um, I, I'm in agreement there. I guess the thing that I would emphasize and, and I think I'm on the same page with Ken. I'll let you weigh in, Mark. Uh, not only has this not been built, but when I look at it and I I see all the numbers. I think generally, when I see a lot of numbers in Scripture, there are um, there's a point. There, there's no idle word in Scripture. We know that he would not put all these numbers in here unless it was important. Uh, yeah, if they're going to build it, then it's important. Exactly. But I can't help but think that there's more to it even than that. And honestly, that's where I say I don't know what it is though. Uh, sometimes it's clear. Sometimes you see patterns in the numbers, and you say, um, you know, I can look at the deltas, the changes, and and I can I can draw some interesting conclusions. But in this case, honestly. Uh, I um, I read this and and I don't I don't have an idea of what it is the numbers mean. I think Ken's right. We'll probably know one day, but not now at least. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> no, I'm 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 absolutely with you. I'm not certain that it wasn't built, but the probability is that it wasn't built. I'm, I'm reading through the, the the stuff in the next chapter about what this. Uh, temples looks like um, it's uh, it's mind-boggling to me that uh, that anybody without you know helicopters and stuff could actually get this done. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna, we're going to have to bring in all kinds of materials and 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 I'm I'm serious. I think that if Yeshua is involved in this thing, he'll know exactly how much he needs to the centimeter, exactly what he needs for everything. Okay. Hey, so, let me. Let me throw something into the mix. What what about what we read about in Revelation when the city of Jerusalem comes down? Uh, could it be possible that this temple structure is in that city, the one that oh, comes down? Obviously, that's what I've always assumed too. Yeah, I, I can't prove it, but I, I tend yeah, to think under. that's the way I'd read it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Something All right. Think about. Well, let's do this. Let's continue okay. on. I've gone through verse fifteen. Uh, go ahead, Mark. Okay. I just said I'd gone through verse 15, and I think Ken was pretty close to there last week. Yes, I was. So, yeah, we can read on. All right, all right. So from, from verse 15, I'll just go ahead. Let's go ahead, and uh, and we want to finish this. It's only a little bit more. We'll finish it before the top of the hour, hopefully. 
So I measured the length of the building behind it, faring, um, facing the the separating yep. courtyard with its galleries on one side and on the other side, 100 cubits by 100 cubits. Uh, the doorposts and the beveled window frames and the galleries all around, three stories opposite the threshold, were paneled with wood from the ground to the windows, and the windows were covered from the space above the door even to the inner room, as well as outside and on every wall all around, inside and outside, by measure. And it was made with um, cherubim and palm trees. Now, this is a pattern we've seen before. A palm tree between cherub and cherub. So there was a separation here. Cherub, palm tree, cherub, palm tree. Each cherub had two faces. So that the face of a man was toward the palm tree on one side and the face of a young lion towards the palm tree on the other side. Thus, it was made throughout the temple all around. So we see the pattern. At least, even if we can't necessarily visualize the layout in the rooms and all, this makes a little bit more uh, uh, of a picture sense that I think most people can wrap their heads around. Oh, that description of the Caravim, uh that's thats pretty amazing. It's a, its a lion, and it's a man's face. That's got to be Yeshua, or somebody like. this. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and... <laughs> I mean, Okay, and he's and he's all man. So, all right. So this is the, the but this is what lines all around. So the floor from the floor to the space above the door on, on the wall of the sanctuary, cherubim and palm trees were carved. The doorposts of the temple were square, uh, as was the front of the sanctuary. Their appearance was similar. The altar was of wood, three cubits high, and its length two cubits. Its corners, its length, and its sides were all of wood. And it was uh, said to me, and he, the man, said to me, this is the prophet speaking, this is the table that is before Yahuwah. The table and the sanctuary had two doors. The doors had two panels each, two folding panels for one door and two panels for the other door. Cherubim and palm trees were carved on the doors of the temple, just as they were carved on the walls. Wooden canopy was on the front, vestibule outside. There were beveled window frames and palm trees on one side and on the other, also on the sides of the vestibule, also on the side chambers of the temple, and on the canopy. So uh, that takes us to the end of the chapter. Ken, you got about two minutes. Uh, go ahead and uh, uh, comment a little bit before the break if you want, and uh, we'll uh, we'll take it out with that. Yeah, let me uh, let me get back to what I was saying then a minute ago um, when I when I did this study on looking at uh, various diagrams, uh, drawings, and then even details uh, of of uh, Ezekiel's temple as it's listed in most cases. Um, I was I was just so surprised to see such different renderings. Um, for example, one thing that that really kind of threw me off a bit was the fact that the house. Or the palace, or you know, let's just call it the uh, uh, holy place. You know, the big building. Um, it, it was rendered uh, in, in more than half of the cases as being thinner than the wall of the uh, the uh, inner court. So we know that the inner court, as we read earlier, was 100 cubits by 100 cubits. Right. And and here I think we can clearly see back here in verse uh uh what was it around verse 15 or 14 um that 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 side on the east side uh was 100 cubits. Matter of fact in verse 14. Yeah, verse 14 is very specific of that side of the house, the the face of the house uh which is really considering the way Yah would be looking Right, he'd be looking to the east, so that that would be rendered as the face, you know. 
Um, and, and of course we would be entering from the West, um, into the house. So we would be facing him. He would be facing us. And, and then you see in verse, uh, uh, verse 15 that all other three sides are mentioned here and each side is 100 cubits, it says. Now to me, that's, I think pretty clear. All four sides of the house or the palace are 100 cubits to match that of the inner times I left there is the music so we're at the bottom of our break we will uh, pause there be right back after this cause I am here for a reason sometimes in my tears I drown but I never let it get me down so when negativity surrounds I know something This is the Torah Teachers Roundtable to Knock Edition. We're talking about the continuation of the, the measurements of the temple, uh, the temple that hasn't yet been built, as uh, uh, Ken pointed out. It's sometimes called Ezekiel's Temple for that reason. But in any case, uh, we interrupted you at the bottom of the arc, Ken. Let's go ahead and let you finish up where you're at. Yeah, I was still kind of uh, pointing out in verses 15 and 16 how, you know, all four sides of the house were 100 um, cubits. Uh, and, and again, to me, all four sides being the same is, is to show you equality. Okay. Re- remember, there are different peoples on the north. There are different peoples on the south, right? We have the, the Zadokite priesthood on the north. We have the Levite priesthood on the south. We have everybody coming in on the east. And we have a, a building behind on the west, which I'm not really sure what that is, <laughs> that 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 other building. At least I think it's a building. Um, but in any case, to me, that's that's to show that there's nobody above another. You know that that Yah treats us all the same. He treats us all equally. Uh, and at the same time, you notice, for example, in verse 17. Uh, and, and we saw it in, in previous verses how uh, whether you are inside, for example, the house or you are outside the house, you're going to you're still going to see a lot of the same renderings, such as the palm trees. OK, there's going to be palm trees here, there and everywhere. Um, so it's not only when you're in front of his face and you turn and you see an inner wall 
will you see palm trees, but you might see palm trees when you're on the outside somewhere. You actually, you see them pretty much everywhere. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and to me, again, that saying, whether you're before him in his face or you're not before him in his face, I mean, if, if you're not in his face before him, that nothing is really changed. You are still to be a perfect being as he is, you know? That's that's the idea. We are supposed to learn to become one with him and be like him and to keep his uh, statutes, his commandments, his his ways, you know, no matter where we are, whether we're before him or we're not before him. And and I recall a verse and I, I can't remember where Shaul or Paul wrote this, but too often it gets twisted uh, into showing something of death and being alive because he spoke these similar words where he, he said something along the lines of, you know, whether I am uh, before him or not before him, you know, uh, those, those kind of words. And, and I believe most people take that as being dead or alive. Where, whereas to me, that, that idea is whether you are, praying to him you're before him in that way or you are off in the midst of uh wickedness literally where there are wicked ones around you you know you are to be that same person no matter where you are whether you're with him or whether you are with others let's say trying to teach them trying to lead them away from their wickedness for example you know we we are to be like him at all times you know and, and and I think that's why we see things both inside and out, you know, in in these chapters here regarding the the entire um, section. And and again, I, th- I think numbers provide some kind of clarity, which, as I mentioned, that I see with regards to the house being a hundred on the north, a hundred on the south, and a hundred on the east, is to show that you know we all have our our part in being one with him. You know, it's not just the, the Zadokite priesthood that, uh, you know, is, is worth more than the Levite priesthood to the south or more than the one coming in from the, from the east. Okay. You know, he loves us all. He loves us all equally. And we're all going to be equal. And a matter of fact, I believe this is a picture of, like I mentioned before, the millennial um kingdom the the 1000 years when mashiach is on this earth but there's still wickedness in the earth for a thousand years i believe it this is that period of time because i think that on the eighth day and beyond or the eighth millennium and beyond okay we we're told that we all will be priests we will be a holy priesthood which to me means <laughs> We'll be doing his works and worshiping him every day, hopefully every minute. And and we will be so joyous, you know, that uh, beyond belief. So anyway, that's that's my my take on some of these numbers, for example. You know, maybe maybe we should compare them on occasion too, like like I'm seeing here Um, now. Also, verse. It's interesting. I noticed in verse verses 15 to 16, you have a, a couple of very unique words. You see this word galleries, which is uh, the Hebrew word atik or atuk, 
in the Hebrew, uh, Strong's number H. 862. It, you know, this word is only mentioned four times in scripture, twice in this chapter and twice in the next chapter. That's it. It's not mentioned anywhere else. And the word sealed, C-I-E-L-E-D, at least in the King James. Yeah. Which is, uh, Shakif in the Hebrew, Strong's number 7824, is only mentioned this one time in all of scripture. Now, to, to me, this this tells me that there are very unique attributes to this temple that did that never existed before, um, and and so it would there was never a need to use these words before, but now there is, and you know hopefully the Jews didn't take advantage of this and skew the definition like I believe they've done with many a word. <laughs> and I won't get into that, but um, it, it, it does give them that opportunity because they've always been thought of um, and, and held uh, to, to a certain standard um, as, as being the experts on the Hebrew language. So they, they define words. They always have, you know, um, and, and these definitions, sometimes I think, Changed through the years, you know. I, I believe many of you them think? have changed. Yeah. What's that? I say you think. I mean, look at "shall not yes. be infringed." <laughs> look at the meaning of the word "shall not." Even if you read the Constitution, and they don't, because they ignore those words and they tell you that they don't mean what they say they mean. Because we have a living Constitution, words don't mean squat. Uh, you know, I mean, you're right, but uh, ultimately, it's hard not to look at this and say, "Wow, um, is there anything that they have?" Changed, honestly. Yeah, my, my and I'm not talking my, about for people group. That's just a part, a fact of the human condition. Right. And my probably one of my favorite words to note a change, which I, I believe is a change, is is actually the word um, uh, for month. I think is is the word kadesh, and you know you you'll see it rendered or defined or translated in the King James as the word month all the way through scripture until you get to uh, it's either first, first or second Samuel. And then all of a sudden you see a new definition of new moon. Okay. And, and we know that the word moon is a completely different word. You know, it doesn't, it has nothing to do with Kodesh. It doesn't sound like Kodesh. It's a totally different word, but yet they seem to have come up with this new definition to add on, not just month, but now we, the Jews, say that this word Kodesh also means new moon. Now, that's one thing I, I have to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of that understanding. <laughs> okay. But hey, you know, uh, to each his or her own. And I'm sure lots of folks would love to talk with me about that. Um, but anyway, just, I just wanted to give one example of one that where, um, you may, it may be easier to see how that word could have changed, you know, through the years. Especially when you see, for example, a nation who came out of moon worship while they were under captivity. Okay. And then all of a sudden this new definition comes along. Yeah. Um, anyway, so let me, let me move on from that. Um, so, uh, and verses 17 to 20, I believe these verses 
are saying that palm trees and cherubim are drawn on both the inner and outer walls of the house from the ground to above the door, which is probably the majority of what can be seen of the walls, um, unless it's there's a whole lot of space above that, as I, I believe Mark Patrum might have pointed out with the uh, the height of the ceilings possibly were around 30 cubits. Was that what it was, MP? Um, yeah, it would be something like that. Yeah, 30 cubits. Now, I, I don't think the doors were anywhere near that at all, but uh, that's that's what they're showing here, that these, um, that these uh, let's see, trees and, and, and cherubim were, were, you know, all the way from, in other words, when your eyes would go straight in, in any direction, not up or down, but just straight out, you're going to see these palm trees in cherubim at your own eye level, right? So yeah. imagine just looking at them from any point within the house. Imagine the the enormity of these objects, which which by the way seem to alternate, right? One palm tree to one cherubim, and thus each each cherub or cherub he has two faces, right? And they and they're opposite each other, and thus each face would be facing the opposite palm tree. So you would have a... Um, Keeping an eye on those palm trees. Right, yeah. <laughs> Meaning every every palm tree is being being seen from both sides, right? Yeah. Well, from one cherubim or one carib, cherub on one side, one cherub on the other. Now that must be quite the spectacle, both inside and out. And thus um, hopefully puts great and enormous thoughts within one's heart when when viewing and, and and walking amongst amongst such greatness. I mean, you you even see this. Let's say I believe in it was in the um, in the gates. You see these very large yes, palm trees. You see them on pillars, don't we? When we're yes, outside the gates, yeah, they're very large palm trees. So you're going to see this all over the place in there. They're they're great. They're huge, uh, and I think we're going to have a better feel for those when we're there, and and that in itself is just going to really give us a big eye opener. I think you know. So I feel such like idea of greatness when you, when you see these things. I mean that that when we see these things, because isn't that what Yah and and even Ezekiel or through Ezekiel is showing us right now? Aren't they showing us that this is to come and yep. that, yeah, that we, which I believe when we're, uh, when we're resurrected or when we are given these new bodies, that this is where we'll be, where this is where we will go and we will feel and we will observe and, and, uh, uh, witness such greatness as we walk through this, you know, amazing place. Um, and anyway, um, let's see, should I comment? Yeah, let, let me comment on verse 21. Um, I believe this verse, you know, the post of the temple being squared, the face of the sanctuary, the appearance as the appearance of another. That's, that's interesting. I think, I, I believe this verse is trying to say that no matter from which direction 
one looks to the house, one gets the same like vision or idea in their head, which which really does tie in with the previous four verses detailing the palm trees in the in the cherubim, both inside and um, inside the house and out. So considering this is to be a time when one is in the presence of Yah, I can see how Yah is seen in all from any angle or from any direction, right? <laughs> it's kind of like that, the, some of those, uh, I don't know how they do it, but I even bought a couple for my for my grandchildren. These, um, they're not really placemats, but they're about that size, you know, the size of a placemat. And they're this beautiful picture of like a aquarium scene, you know, but, but depending on, on, on how you rotate either your head or the picture itself, the picture changes, you know, the, the figures move. And I believe no matter what angle we're looking at Yah, and no matter how many people are looking at him, I think we're all going to be seeing him face to face. You know, he is that awesome, <laughs> you know, so from, from any angle or any direction, I feel like the, his appearance will be just that. It will be his face who we look at as as we're looking at the sanctuary even and and from anywhere um that's my my thought on that anyway that's up to up to verse 21 so i'll go ahead and uh stop there and see where uh, how we should move on go ahead marty um, you brought up the word shekin or shekhan and uh I, I, I looked it up in the etymological dictionary biblical hebrew um there, there are two different ways to to spell that. How was that spelled? House? Remember? Yeah, do you mean the house? Yeah, Shechan or Shechin. Uh, yeah, I thought it was something like S H A K A N or something like that. Okay, um, okay, you're looking at it in the in the KJV. Okay, uh, there are two ways to spell that in Hebrew, um, uh, at least that I found. Uh, the one is shachan, which means to inflame or to have imbalance of natural elements. That's with a with a chet, and uh, then with a chaf, it's shachan to dwell or to reside with others. Is the is the main thought? Which one do you think was best for that? The latter. To inflame, to have no. imbalance of natural elements, or to dwell or reside with others. To dwell and reside with others. That's what I thought too. Okay, so that that's that's really interesting, yeah. uh, <laughs> and we're going to get to do that sooner or later. Yeah. I'm in. Okay. So anyway, let me uh, let me hit on uh, verses 16 to 21 as well. Uh, here's Azamra's opening on that. They say uh, verses 16 to 21 describe the windows and paneling of the house, and the uh, ornamental caravim and palm trees on the walls. KGV has verse 16 with a multi, with a couple of uses of the word sealed as C-E-I-L-E-D, you know, that made a ceiling of it, as does Stones to Knock, though it also uses the word paneled, okay? Stones to Knock uses paneled. Now, my online dictionary has for the word seal a verb usually to be sealed with a the uh, definition of to line with plaster or wood. 
Okay, and that's what the ceiling is supposed to be like, right? Now, m- most newer homes are sealed with drywall today. I have done a lot of that in my life. Take my word for it. I was in building for 40 years. Anyway, these chambers were very likely sealed with ornate wood. Stones to Knock has this observation on the ceiling paneling. Note that when KJV says knops, K-N-O-P-S, knops, it's referring to a sort of drawer pull, a cupboard door handle, or a knob. Okay, so the wood paneling, this is the KJV, uh, 1 Kings 6, 14 to 22. The wood paneling was a base on which to affix the gold plating, which I now quote. Here it is, verses 14 to 22. So Shlomo built the house and finished it, and he built the walls of the house within with boards of cedar, both the floor of the house and the walls and of the ceiling, and he covered them on the inside with wood and covered the floor with planks of fir. And he built 20 cubits on the side of the, sides of the house, both of the floors and the walls with boards of cedar. He even built them for it within, even for the oracle, even for the most holy place. And the house, that is the temple before it, was 40 cubits long. And the cedar of the house within was carved with open knops and open flowers. Now these knobs is what it sounds like to me. All was cedar. There was no stone seen. Verse 19, and the oracle was prepared in the house within to set there the ark of the covenant of Yah. And the oracle of the foremost was 20 cubits in length and 20 cubits in breadth and 20 cubits in height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold and so covered the altar of cedar. So Shlomo overlaid the house within with pure gold and he made a partition by the chains of gold until he had finished all the house. Also, the whole altar that was by the oracle, he overlaid with gold. And the whole house he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the house. Also, the whole altar that was by the oracle, he overlaid with gold. Gold plating is cheaper than gold filling. Okay? That's my own personal personal uh, observation. Now, I can't even imagine how much gold Shlomo put into that temple and his adjoining palace. I only know that I couldn't afford to do it or to have it done. Now, (laughs) but he was the richest man on on earth ever. So here's Azamra's comment on the ornate beauty of the temple. Inside the sanctuary, the most beautiful lights appear on all the walls. They all receive from one another as they spread out from amidst the radiance caused by the perfect union all around. These lights shine in the form of cherubim and palm trees. Understand the greatness of the importance of these lights. There are male and female palms. Of this, it is said, the tzaddik will flourish like a palm in Psalm 92.13, referring to the tzaddik, Yesod, of his mate, Malchut. Okay, Yesod and his mate, Malchut. The cherubs have two faces that of a man on one side, that of a lion on the other. Now, that the building of this temple is accomplished through the proper, of the power, rather, of the right side, the chesed, the face of the lion, and the mercy, the tiferet, the face of a man. 
It is from the light of these two that the holy union symbolized by the palm tree derives. For this reason, the faces of the Karavim are turned towards the palm tree, for the lion is on one side, the face of the man on the other, and the palm trees stand between the twos. That according to Ramchal, Moshe Chaim Luzado. Does that not bring to mind the person of Yeshua? Stone Snock has a good note here. I saw the same appearance of El's glory, Avinu or Yeshua, I think, that I had seen in the account of the cherub, a chariot, that in chapter 1 by Rashi. This first inkling of the return of Elohim's glory to the temple took Yehezkel by surprise. He was filled with yearning to know if it was true, yet dared not confirm it to himself. Thus he left his words dangling. That according to Rob Yosef Brewer. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. Welcome back, folks. Second Welcome. hour now of the Torah Teachers Roundtable Tanakh edition, and we are talking about Chapter 40 of the Book of Ezekiel and what's uh, been referred to as Ezekiel's Temple. At the break, we interrupted MP. Let's let him finish, and we'll go back and uh, we'll finish the chapter too. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, I uh, I believe, yes, Stone Tanakh has a good note here. They said, I saw the same appearance of El's glory, that's Avinu or Yeshua, I think, that I had seen in the account of the chariot, that according to Rashi, chapter 1. This first inkling of the return of Elohim's glory to the temple took Yehezkel by surprise. He was filled with yearning to know it was true, yet dared not confirm it to himself. Thus, he left his words dangling, that according to Rob Yosef Brewer. The Lion of the tribe of Yehuda, who will judge according to his word, along with the face of the man, Yeshua, Yeshua, I should say, of the question mark, which is perhaps the only fleshly life that recognizes justice and mercy. Will a lion, with stomach-growling hunger, not pounce on any fleshly life that comes before him? Yeshua is that lion, who will judge you righteously, and, if you are not repentant of your sins, act in righteous judgment. And when your life is done, and you stand before him at the great white throne, will he not 
pronounce righteous judgment on you? It's a very good idea to keep your account short with him. You don't even know your own heart as well as he does. Azamra has this on the last five verses. Uh, This is the table that is shown Hashem. Verse 22 apparently speaks about the altar of wood, but our sages explained that this cannot refer to the altar on which the animal sacrifices are offered, since this is located in the inner courtyard in front of the house. It could possibly refer to the incense altar in the sanctuary, which is made of wood plated with gold, radak. But Targum explains that the altar mentioned here is in fact a table adjacent to the incense altar, in accordance with the words of the angel to Ezekiel at the end of the verse. This is the table that is before Hashem. Thus, our sages commented, the verse opens with the altar and ends up with the table. Which comes that This comes to teach that as long as the temple is standing, the altar stones for Israel, or atones for Israel, but now it is a person's table, the way he eats in purity and holiness that atones for him. That's Barachos 54b and Chagigah 27a. Some customarily cite the verse, this is the table that is before Hashem, before Yah. As they begin their meal and take care to say words of Torah at the table in order to elevate their eating. That sounds like a wise idea, doesn't it? Okay, this is the table that is before Hashem as they begin their meal and they take care to say words of Torah at the table in order to elevate their eating. That's what we all ought to do, really and truly. Talk talk scripture around the table <laughs> while we're eating. It will make the meal that much better. Anyway, that's what I got through verse 22. Okay, Ken, you want to comment on any of this? Uh, I can comment on 22. Um, well, yeah, then go think, for it. <laughs> okay. I, I think it's important to note that Ezekiel... Uh, was spoken to directly in his vision when the altar is addressed. Okay, all, all of this other information we're seeing, we're reading, etc. Uh, this is um, Ezekiel's accounting of what he's, you know, what's there. But there is this is where Yah specifically addresses him when it comes to the altar. So he says the altar is the table in the face of Yah. And and directions, I think, are very important, as usual. So from from the altar, one will travel west to enter the house, which is representative of Yah himself. And thus we are to understand that his house faces that altar. And thus the altar is always before his face. That's right. So think about a a table. You know, what is the purpose of a table? Well, this is where, of course, if you look back even in the days of Moshe, um, what what did korban or this sacrifice really mean? When you look at the word korban, it had to do with drawing near. This is how we drew near unto him. You know, we came up, up, up. 
But actually, Ken, if you remember, the word korban is this usually translated as gift. offering. And zibak okay. is... And and zabak is the word that uh, I usually think of as being translated as sacrifice. Right. Yes, offering. Meaning what you you know what you have with you, and that's going to actually encompass most all things that you bring to him, right? Because you're going to want to draw near and bring a gift. You know whether it's uh, a joyous. Or whether it's your desire to put something away, um, such as a sin, you want to put it down, you know, you 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 desire atonement. Uh, all, all those things, uh, there, there's a need for you to draw near unto him, which is what that, that word korban. I, I'm just remembering a word that always kind of grabbed my attention is that word korban. <laughs> you know, um, and... and and it's no wonder Yah puts that altar in front of his face. And a table. And a table is where people come and they sit and they and they are one with those others at the table. You know, and there's this coming together and a oneness at a table. You know? And and uh I think that's that's a wonderful idea that, that Yah is giving us here, showing us that, hey, this is where you know we're coming in, we're coming from to come to you to your face you know we're we're coming to draw near through and right by this altar you know and so he he's addressing it um and and of course we are all led in the westerly direction when entering his house and thus he leads us in a very straight and direct path to him now is this not like him has he not told us that the path eight and narrow meaning without faltering to the left or to the right uh, isn't that exa- exactly how we are to be with him you know there there is one way to him is what he's trying to tell us from the beginning um and that that, that doesn't mean straying you know it means he wants you to to be on on this walk or this path uh, that he he lays out before us, and this is an example of it. You know, it, it may not be the physical thing that we that we do day to day for the rest of our lives. Like I said, it might be a spiritual representation, you know, of us being one with him and walking straight with him. You know, day in and day out, walking straight. <laughs> that's that's what I'm hoping for anyway. And praying for that everyone walks straight in his paths from from you know forevermore, um, and, and that's how I feel about eternity, of course. So anyway, that that's what I had for verse twenty-two. I think we can probably go ahead and read on if you want to take it okay. to the end. Yeah, we can. Where do you want to continue okay. reading from? I uh, did. I, I don't. I actually read through the end. I thought. Uh, I thought you read through 23. Yeah, 23, wasn't it? You you, you did read the rest? I thought I did, but I mean, there's only three more verses after if that. So, the temporal yeah, and the sanctuary had two doors. The doors had two panels apiece, okay. um, two folding panels, two panels from one door, two on the other door. Cherubim and palm trees were carved on the doors of the temple, just as they were carved on the walls. Yeah, I did read 
read it, but what the heck. A wooden canopy was on the front of the vestibule outside, okay. and there were beveled window frames and palm trees on one side and on the other on the sides of the vestibule, also on the side chambers of the temple and on the canopies. So, uh, yeah. Um, go ahead, MP, and then we'll, then we'll, we'll be over, we'll be finished with chapter 41. Okay. I will uh, cover the last few verses here. Azamra has this on verse 23 through 26. They say that verses 23 to 26 describe the sanctuary gates, their number and form, and the windows of the vestibule that stood in front of the sanctuary. Now, walls, doors, and gates are meant to keep what belongs within them in and what belongs without them out. The Kodesh Kadashim is meant for the presence of Yah and the occasional, at least once a day, Kohen Gadol to off and offering it. Okay, it doesn't actually say so, but I assume that the outer doors of the Kodesh Kadashim are meant to be closed while the daily atonement is brought before Yah with that within them. I think something very bad would happen if an unauthorized person witnessing the offering for atonement. I could be wrong, but I seriously doubt it. Anyway, the entry doors were made each made up of two leaves per door. I assume an upper and a lower door, each on hinges, that can be operated independently or connected by something like a slide that would allow them to swing together. I have such a door in my house between the kitchen and the and the steps that lead up to it and the uh, entryway. Now, <clears throat> we often leave the top panel open in the wintertime to allow some heat to get to the basement, which is living, living quarters as well as basementy stuff like my Sanctum Sanctorum. Uh, anyway, each leaf of two doors, I assume, having never actually seen them myself, had at least one cheruv, or angel, in verses 18 to 20, carved into the gopher wood doors, and those overlaid, or maybe plated, with gold. These keravim were not just on the doors, but also on the walls of the Kodesh Kadashim, even as they were woven into the walls and ceilings of the Mishkan in the wilderness adventure. These paintings, carvings in the temple, and embroidery in the Mishkan, were human representatives of the heavenly reality. All the high priests of Yah, from Moshe, number one, to Yeramot, number 24, who was the last of the Kohen Gedolim listed in the appendices in Stones to Knock, served life terms and were usually succeeded by their sons, grandsons, or great-grandsons, depending on their lifespans, which, it seems to me, were almost universally long. I mean, we are talking about only 24 high priests from the Exodus around 2500 BCE to the final diaspora in 576 BCE. Okay? <laughs> Average of 76 years per high priest. If Stone's Heart Scrolls lists are correct, and I have no reason to doubt them. Ramchal has this to say, and I'll end with this. The roots of all things is found in the supreme wisdom that stands at the peak of all levels and gives power to all the hosts of heaven and the heavens of the heavens. This wisdom possesses mighty gates from which its radiance and glory shine to all the creatures in the lower worlds that crave to delight in its great 
pleasantness. This wall has gates, for without gates, how would blessing and sustenance go forth to the lower realms? Again, that's I quoted Ron Hall five or six times in this particular passage, or, or, or this particular chapter, and that's because I love the guy. Moshe Chaim Luzado is one of the one of the all time great Kohanim. Great stuff. Anyway, that's what I got for this chapter. Okay, Ken, what do you want to add before we finish? Um. Well, um, it's interesting these these doors. Um, it says the sanctuary has two doors. Now, I mean, we could read that as walking through two sets of doors, or it could be read as a door on the left and a door on the right. You know, that you could open either or, or you could open both at same time. I'm sorry, go ahead. We we, we might today say a double door. A double door. A double door, yeah. That's that's one way to look at it, I think. (laughs) And I would lean towards it just because each door has two leaves. So what what this reminds me of is is a closet door like you have in your in your house. You know, you pull on the center of the fold, and the full the two pieces of doors come together, and thus opening the door. You know, similar to that. Sure. Um, that's 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 what that's reminding me of. Anyway, um, unlike what we saw at the uh, at the walls, at the walls we had these gates and and it wasn't just a gate as in a door these gates were really enormous um structures that one literally had to walk through you know you had quite a bit of uh cubits to literally walk through once you went through the gate door the gate itself you know you had to go through uh and walk through this um area which to me kind of reminded me, you know, when you're walking through such a big area, separating uh, what's on one side of that gate area and what's on the other side kind of reminded me of things such as, like, like for example, when I walk into work every day uh, in my FEMA building, uh, you walk through one door, which is the, the outside door, and inside there is, is like a little furnace going in the wintertime. A little a heater that comes out of the wall, you know, blowing hot air. And then you walk in a second door to get to the actual office space. So you had this like vestibule area, in other words. And there 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 were steps going up in that vestibule. So that was like the the, the stairway. But but that vestibule added as uh, or acted as a a real separator between you know the office space and the outside. You know, showing division, you know, great, great separation or, or differences in what's outside and what's on the inside. You know, could, could Yah be, uh, desiring the same here? Most, most likely between the outside, which is where commoners would be, and the outer court, for example. Okay. Or between the outer court and the inner court. You had, you know, you had this same long vestibule to walk through. Okay, it even reminded me, for example, of a spaceship. 
<laughs> that we know of, you know, watching uh, movies and TV, uh, fictional TV uh, things. Well, not even fiction anymore, right? We we believe we've had um, people in space these days and have have literally gone out in space and fixed things on the exterior of the, um, you know, whatever they they flew up there in, whether it be a spaceship or uh, one of those uh, community. Uh, locations, you know, what what do they call those between all the nations? Space station. Uh, Yes, thank you. (laughs) So, yeah, it it could be either or, but when they do go to the outside where the space is, you know, where it's very cold and apparently there is no oxygen, so you can't breathe, and of course, if you did even probably touch that air, you would would instantly freeze to death. Yep. Um, you, you have this like vestibule area and that allows you to uh, change the, the, the environment in that vestibule area so that the one environment never reaches the other environment. Even when there's a, you know, temporary door opening, it will never allow the one environment to reach the other. That's, that's the idea of the vestibule there. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I can see how y'all want such division. You know, between the common and, and the, or the, even the profane and the holy, you know, there is to be division. No, we can't all be together in all this, like, like this world wants us to be. Oh, you should accept, you know, this or that, even though that doesn't conform with what Yah wrote in his book called the Bible, you know, that we have. Bear in mind, they don't really want that. that. There, they just say they do, Ken. Yes, right. <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, I, I, I believe in division because division is needed to keep God and his ways separate from everything else. Verses 25 and 26, um, as, we, uh, as we saw with the, the walls of the house, both inside and out, we continue to see these patterns of palm trees and carabine on both doors and windows. Mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing the, the carabine are not shown on windows because we are not to travel through a window, but simply look outside. Of it. And viewing is a gate, and thus even windows are instilling this remembrance of the palm tree, you know, even when you you want to look outside or you want to look in that direction and there is a window there and you can see what it looks outside. What else are you going to see is a palm tree. <laughs> that palm tree is this huge reminder, no matter where you look on that compound, you know, all throughout your I would say you're always going to see a palm tree. Uh Right now, you would say this whether you like it or not. But I'm sure there, in that day, you're, you're going to be blessed and thankful that you're seeing a palm tree every, all the time. <laughs> because it's probably going to remind you of Yah and, and think, whoa, you know, I'm walking in Yah's ways everywhere at every moment. Look at that. Look at that palm tree. It's, it's probably going to be kind of like our tzitzit, you know. It, it's a big reminder for us. Hey, this is Yah's world. You know, here we are, finally. (laughs) 
let's walk in it. Woo-hoo! You know? So, yeah, it's going to be some exciting times. Anyway, uh, that's what I have to the end of the chapter. Okay. MP, are you ready? You want to add anything? Mark? Did we lose MP? I think we did. Oh, he's off. He's okay. off doing something. All right. I don't see him in the in the room. He's he's departed. So let's go ahead and continue. Well, no, he, he's got his mic turned off. I had my mic off. I'm sorry. There he goes. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm ready to go if you want. We've only got about a minute and a half left here. Okay. Well, let's continue then. I will read the first few verses in chapter 42 at this point, which says, Then he brought me into the outer court by way uh, toward the north, and he brought me into the chamber which was opposite the separating courtyard and which was opposite the building toward the north. Facing the length, 100 cubits, the width was 50 cubits, was the north door. Opposite the inner court, 20 cubits, and opposite the pavement of the outer court uh, was a gallery against gallery in three stories. So in, in triplicated, it even sounds like. In front of the chambers, toward the inside, was a walkway that was 10 cubits wide at a distance of one cubit, and their doors faced north. Now, the upper chambers were shorter because the galleries took away squares from them more than from the lower and middle stories of the building. So um, you can uh, kind of decide what that means, but um, looks like the chambers were slightly smaller as we go up. For they were in three stories and did not have pillars like the gates, uh, like the pillars of the courts. Therefore, the upper level was shortened more than the lower and middle levels from the ground up. And um, they also had a small wall which was outside and ran parallel to the chambers. And we'll pick it up after the bottom of the hour here. And, and I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know something. Folks, we are back. Last segment for today. This is chapter 42 concerning Ezekiel's temple. And the prophet writes that he brought me out, the person that is showing him all these things, into the outer court towards the north. And basically it's three stories, and the upper story is slightly smaller. And um, with that, let's go to Ken and let him comment on what he'd like here. Ken? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm back. Um I thought that MP wanted to read on verse 1 first, so I was going to let him go. He's got a big section there. Okay. I'm sorry. I forgot. 
<laughs> I haven't covered right. this yet. Okay. Okay, verse 1. Just to keep stuff straight here, over against in KJV means directly opposite. So, if I were the officiating priest of the daily offering on the ramp facing the temple's altar, I would be facing to the north and facing the north gate of the temple. Kodesh Kadushim to my left and slightly out of line to see the uh, Kodesh Kadashim and possibly get a direct look at Shekinah of Yah and struck dead. Do not pass go. You know what I mean? If I or the priest stood on the ramp, we could not see the Shekinah of Yah in the holiest of all. There would be a solid structure, the left side from our perspective, of the Holy of Holies door jam between him and us. I assume that the procedure for the offering priest was to do a right about face, okay, turning to his right to do an about face so he doesn't look into the Kodesh Kodeshim when he's done and he wants to leave the platform so as to not take a chance on seeing into the Kodesh Kodeshim and getting knocked off. Lightning might strike at just that instant leaving behind a charred, smoldering mass of flesh. Now, where KJV says utter court, it's speaking of the outer courtyard of the temple building, which was still inside the gates of the temple. The inner court is where the altar of burnt offering was. This inner court was one-ninth uh, of the inside area of the temple, and its center point was the altar of burnt offering. Okay? You got that? The, the temple itself is, you can, you can break it into a tic-tac-toe board, basically. Okay? <laughs> it actually looks like that if you're looking at it. So, from above. Now, the inner court was like the center square of the tic-tac-toe board. And the center of the altar of burnt offering was the absolute dead center of the temple of Yah. Can you see how everything centers on the sacrifice, as our atonement centers on Yeshua's offering? What KJV calls galleries, the Stones Tanakh calls chambers. And there are lots of small chambers in the gates, in the structure surrounding the every gate in and out of the temple proper, and the entries to the inner court and the Kodesh Kodeshim uh, itself, all on three levels, Okay, it's all on three levels. Now, the temple's main walls were also tall enough that they could that there could have been storage rooms in it as well. Those stones to knock of uh, the stones description rather of the temple is in Appendix C on page 2042 doesn't show it. Azamra had some salient points. Here's a couple of them. Verses one through twelve of the present chapter, describe the dimensions of the three-story buildings or chambers that stood parallel to the main temple building on its north and south sides. Verses 13 through 14 then explain the function of these chambers, which was to serve as a place where the Kohanim can eat their portions of the Holy of Holies sacrificial offerings. Understand, this is still... Uh, uh, Azamra speaking. Understand that these chambers 
are where the angels actually receive the sustenance given to them from around the outside of the sanctuary building. Do angels need sustenance? That's my question. The sustenance flows out from the recess into the cells adjoining the sanctuary walls. As it leaves the cells, it merges into a single flow in the winding staircase. Then, at a distance of 20 cubits, it reaches these chambers where the angels receive it. These chambers are designated for eating the holy sacrificial portions, for this is the sustenance that comes down to the branches after they rejoin their root and other, and after the beautiful unification that is brought about through the sacrifice. But note how far away the angels are when they receive their share of the holy offering as compared to the souls of Israel, who receive their share from inside the sanctuary, since the angels' sustenance comes from the incense, which is burnt out inside. This is why the sages said, Israel's appointed place is further within than that of the ministering angels. That from Yerushalayim Shabbat to by Ramchal. And again, the guy is sharp. Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzado, was a great student and teacher of Torah, as well as a great thinker and author. I have his book, Derech Hashem. Here it is right here. Can you see it? No, you can't see it. Uh, the Way of God is what it means in my hot little hand as I type. Okay? And that's what I got for verse 1. Like to go ahead? Take it away. Go ahead, Ken. <laughs> okay. Um, let me just tie in with what MP was saying about. Um, hold on a second. I've been jumping around here. Um, being against the set apart, separate place. Okay, and that's speaking of. This chamber um, that was in the outer court. Uh, if we remember, there were chambers to the north, where the Zedekite priesthood's chambers, and there were uh, chambers to the south, uh, which were the Le- Levitical or Levite chambers. <laughs> and, and my wife just stepped in all wet. <laughs> and the rain gotcha. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but notice they are against the separate place, outside the separate place. So I, I want to read just a few verses, mostly from the Torah, that, that speak about things that are um, outside, for example, the Ark of the Covenant. Let's look at Deborim 10, verse 2, Deuteronomy 10, verse 2. And I will write upon the tablets the words that were in the first tablets, which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark. Okay, so these are the words, Yah's words, Yah's commandments, Yah's, well, it really is words, uh, more so than, than commandments. Um, the, these are his words to live by. And these are put inside of the ark. Remember, the ark is, is likened to or is a picture of... Um, Within a, a righteous body, and and the the two tablets would be as in two hearts, with his words 
written upon them. Okay, circumcised upon those hearts. That would be the the perfect man. The um, would be a truly set apart being. But the only that was put in the ark. What was outside? Look at Deborim uh, or Deuteronomy thirty-one verse twenty-six. It's written, "Take this book of the Torah and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant." of Yahuwah your Elohim, that it may be there for a witness against thee. Now, of course, does that mean that the Torah is wicked? <laughs> Certainly not. It's it's there to bring us back to him. That's, that's really what it's all about. It's to see our, our, our errors of our ways and to come back. And he's showing us how to do it. Okay, sure, and this was put outside the ark because it wasn't for the perfect man, it was for the imperfect man. That's why the whole tabernacle system was given to man, because of the errors of their ways. Um, let's look at Shemot or Exodus 16, verse 33. And Moshe said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein, and lay it before Yahuwah, to be kept for generations. Verse 34. As Yahuwah commanded Moshe, so Aaron laid it before the testimony to be kept. Meaning in the face of. That's what MP had mentioned. Um, kind of like opposite of. It's really in the face of. But opposite of, yes. But up against. Um. You know, of course, if they're against each other, they're opposite each other. Um, so we can see here that there were things outside the ark that were laid up against the ark, right? But they were they were witnesses, weren't they? They were witnesses for for man to look and to remember. You know, to help bring us back to Him. Uh, but 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 they weren't on the inside. So so now we see these structures, this uh, Zadokite priesthood structured to the north, a Levitical priesthood structured to the south. Again, these are outside of the house. They're not inside. <laughs> Why? Well, because those priesthoods are needed for a imperfect man, aren't they? I mean, if if we all were priests, then there would be no separation in priesthoods. It would be one grandioso priesthood, right? But but here you have this structure because there are still sacrifices. There's still this this um, altar system, you know, where where people must draw near to the altar, and there there again there is slaughtering. There is sacrifice. This has to do with sin as well. And so that's why, again, I don't feel this is a period of time after uh, or during and after the eighth millennium. But I believe it's in the seventh millennium when there's still sin in the world. You know, And so just like Mark was pointing out in verse one about this chamber being outside or against or even opposite this the set apart or separate place. 
yeah, this this is what that really means being outside. You know, it, it's it's actually to help others to eventually belong inside. <laughs> really, right? It's so that one day we can all be a part of that house, can't we? Like inside the house. We could be it itself. We can all be one. That's that's what I'm I'm really anxious about. I, I I'm not always gonna look forward to um you know, knowing that there's sin in the world. Even though I might feel good about people leaving the sin and coming to him, that's always a, a joyful moment, just like uh uh, Mashiach's parable of the two two sons or two brothers. You know, when when the one came back after he was lost, the father was so joyous, and he he will be that way for all of us, even through this Sabbath millennium. He will be so joyous when someone turns from their wicked ways and realizes that their father was right all along from the beginning. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so yeah, I just want to touch on that regarding verse one. Um, and yeah, should I stop there? Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll go ahead and stop there and let uh, MP move a little forward. And, uh, how much did we read, by the way? We read through, go ahead, MP. I'll figure it out here a second. You talk. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Um, I'll cover two through four here. <laughs> so, here we go. Uh, verse 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3, is kind of interesting. And then it says, before the length of 100 cubits, excuse me, just, <coughs> excuse me, ah, they would encounter the north door. If they walk along the walls, they would walk almost exactly 100 cubits. But there's quite a bit of open space between all the doors. So unless you walked with your shoulders touching the walls the whole time, you would still not quite walk 100 cubits because you would be a foot or two from the wall and wouldn't cover 100 cubits. So you might walk 99 cubits from gate to gate, but you would not walk directly from one gate to the next and cover the 100 cubits. And since the altar and its pit is in the center of the courtyard, unless you can levitate, you also ain't going to walk 100 cubits straight across the pit and the altar. Stones has a brief comment on verse 3. They say balcony can uh, ran aside alongside the interior of the outer court's wall. Okay, there's a balcony there. The galleries KJV refers to were like balconies in a theater, as in Abraham Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth though jumping down from the third story near the top of the temple wall might not be so much fun as it was for Booth to get away. Anyway, I think that's what being described in verse 4 is a passageway inside the walls of the temple. A passageway inside the walls of the temple? It's a possibility. I don't think that they had a balcony three stories up. Even John Wilkes Booth wouldn't have tried that. The upper chambers were not as deep, may have been a cubit or more narrower than the two-story, the second story, rather. I wonder how many people or how people would access the third-story chambers. Stone's diagram doesn't give us a clue. There was a space between the outer chambers and the Kodesh Kadashim 
that looks to be about six to seven cubits wide that was completely open to the western wall was, yes, that western wall, the one that's still standing in Yerushalayim today. The space between the western wall and the western ends of the western chambers was about four or five cubits. You could walk a sacrificial animal through there without much trouble. The corner chambers were the ones used for slaughtering the animals. To bring the offerings to the altar in the center of the Temple Mount, there were rather narrow walkways, perhaps two cubits, 36 to 42 inches wide, to bring the burnt offering to the altar in the inner court. There is no indication, yet anyway, as to whether the priests that are bringing the pieces parts to be offered on the altar have to bathe before getting and carrying another offering to the inner courtyard. They haven't seen that yet. But you see, it, it, they have to be priests that are taking the animals into the place to have them butchered and to bring it out to the high priest to offer on the, on the altar. So there are a lot of priests that are being, uh, being, uh, employed in this particular, uh, uh, passage that we're looking at. And I'm going to leave that at the end of verse four and give it over to Ken. Yep. Got about three minutes, Ken. All righty. Um, yeah, the, the way I take verse two, okay, but it's saying in the face, of this length of a hundred cubits, which is the every well, actually every side of the house. Okay, that's right. This is talking right. Um, this uh, this is talking of the um, before that. It says in the face of it was the north door. The breadth was fifty cubits. I think that means the the width. Yes, of, of the of the uh, this uh, length was fifty cubits, um, and uh, over against it says twenty, which were for the inner court, and against the pavement, uh, the outer court. Uh, and now here's these words, this word gallery again. Remember, we saw the word gallery in the uh, previous chapter uh and let's see let me let me recall where that was exactly because that was regarding um let me see if i find it real quick if not i'm gonna leave it um no i'm not seeing it so i'm i'm not gonna compare these two i guess i wanted to compare the two (laughs) so much for that idea let me go back here um so I, I believe it's uh, the this twenty cubits. Y'all correct me if I'm wrong. I'm seeing this as as a space all the way around the house that separates the house from any other building, whether it be yes. the 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 uh, southern buildings for the Levites or the western building, whatever that is. I'm not sure what it is. And those of the north buildings, which were for the Zadokite buildings. Yeah, there was a, a twenty five cubit. Uh, separation all the way around. Yeah, um, uh, the the way that the that the map in uh, Stone Stonock reads here, the uh, 
There are two east chambers, northeast and southeast, and there are two west chambers, northwest and southwest. There are two south chambers, southeast and southwest, and two west chambers. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. That's the way that works. So, and and they're uh, they're basically uh, th- this thing is a hundred cubits wa- uh, wide, and we've got about forty cubits in the middle in the outer courtyard. Okay, and then the northeast chamber, they're about fifteen each, and then fifteen more for the uh, outer courtyard to add up to a hundred cubits altogether. And it, and the way this map works, it's it's is very cool, and I and I like the way that they did this, and I hope that it's correct because I've been I've been looking at it to make sure that I'm getting stuff right. So. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm sorry to take up so much of your time. Go ahead. Oh no, that's all right. Um, uh, and, and two, in most drawings that I look at, the the Zanakite, uh area actually has two sets of buildings. Okay, one that appears to be about 100 um, uh, cubits in length, uh, uh, closer to the house, whereas there's one opposite it, more northward, which is about half that distance. Uh, I mean, half that width or length which would be 50 cubits. Now, I'm thinking this is what they're looking at in verses 2 and 3. They're, they're seeing it as there are uh, two sets of buildings, and they're facing each other with a small separation in between. Um, now, that is that is a possibility. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, and, and now, I've seen other drawings where there was only one set of buildings on the north side. So, it's... It, again, I think a lot of us are going to take things slightly different when we when you when we read this. Um, but anyway, so that's what I thought of regarding verse four was a ten cubic um, separation between the two sets of buildings, uh, the breadth inward. Uh, anyway, and and as talking, this is all on the north side, right? Okay. Towards the towards the north. And we are out of time for today, so we'll pick up at Shabbat 42 next time. Hey, uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for all folks.